The whole point here is to minimize risk. So to minimize risk, you don't want to see one single company or one single industry dominating the employment population percentage. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations, not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about the pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday. You're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going. Hello, best ever listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Actively Passive Investing Show. I'm Theo Hicks. As always, we are back with Travis Watts. Travis, how are you doing today? Theo, doing great. Happy to be here for episode two. So yeah, so as Travis said, this is part two of our first ever Actively Passive Investing Show series on how to vet a syndication deal. And so these are the three categories of things that you want to look at before investing in a particular deal. Make sure you check out part one, which was last week, or if you're listening to this in the future, seven episodes ago, and that was how to vet the team. And today we're going to talk about how to vet the market that they are investing in. And then one thing I forgot to mention in the last episode is why these three things. And when we talk about specifically apartment syndications, 
the three major risk points from the perspective of all parties involved is going to be the team, the markets, and the deal. So the syndicator should be doing things to minimize the risk of the deal failing, of the market failing, or of the team failing. So last week, we talked about questions to ask to not only evaluate and qualify the team, but also see what things are being put in place to reduce that risk point. So this next thing we're going to want to qualify is going to be the market. So Travis, do you have anything else to say or do we need to jump right into these points? I think we can jump right in. Well, one thing real quick is I said this on the last podcast, but I get asked these questions on nearly every podcast I'm a guest on, every investor, so to speak, that I speak with. It's always something to the extent of how do you vet a team, a market or a deal, or what pieces of criteria are you looking at? What's most important to focus on? So that's why we're doing this series just from a high level is I thought, hey, why haven't we done this on our own show? We need to share this with people. It's critically important. So that's all I have to say. Go ahead and kick it off. Perfect. So the first point we'll talk about is the role of the team for identifying the target market. So it's kind of like an overall before we get into specific actual metrics, but you want to have a basic understanding of their market evaluation process. So what does this entail? Are they just Googling top markets and then going to some blog post that some random person wrote and then picking that top market and like, I'm investing here. Obviously there's going to be more that goes into it than that. So what specifically are they doing? What type of research are they doing online? What metrics are they looking at? Are they actually visiting these markets in person before investing, or at least at the sub-market or the neighborhoods? And then during this trip, what types of things are they doing? What types of things are they looking at? And then also, is it just the GP that's involved in this, or are other members of the team involved as well? The property management company, for example, are they signing off on the strengths of this market? And then lastly, Is it a one-time thing where they said, oh, this market is great and it's always going to be great for all time and I'm never going to analyze this market ever again? Or are they doing things to consistently reevaluate and reconfirm that it is a good market? Basically, what's their process for this, right? Are they every quarter looking at the metrics again and tracking those? Are they visiting the market? Are they consistently reading the news in that market? Best practices, setting up Google Alerts for that market, something that past investors can do as well, actually. Set up a Google alert for the target market and businesses and unemployment and jobs, multifamily apartments. So just high level, first of all, are they analyzing the market on a consistent basis? And then what does that actually look like? That's a great point. I want to pick up on one thing that you pointed out, I think is really important. And that's the bias that a lot of folks have just because maybe they were born and raised in a particular market and they've never moved. They're just always going to invest in that market. And on the pro side of that, yeah, they probably know that market really well. On the con side of that, it may not be the best market to be investing in at this particular time. And I see that all the time with different operators. So be aware of that and ask those questions. Great point. And here's the other thing I tell every other limited partner, you do not have to be an expert in everything. That is the beauty of being a limited partner. Okay. So the way I approach this is I do the macro level research. I look at just the big picture. How is the economy doing the unemployment rate? the interest rates from the Fed, whatever is going on from a high level migration trends, where people are moving. That's kind of my research. Quite honestly, you can do the macro level research on any particular market in a matter of hours if you're efficient, or let's call it a matter of days if you want to take your time through it. 
and then you could be done potentially for six months on that particular market. You could really understand the fundamentals and what's happening. Markets don't change that rapidly. Now, to that point, obviously you need to focus on the micro level. Now, this is what I personally defer to the sponsors. They should be the experts on the ground, so to speak. They need to know everything about this particular property, this three mile radius, the incomes in this area, the school system ratings, the employment hubs. They need to know it all. Well, I can't be an expert in all of that on top of the macro. You could, it would take all your time. And then what's the point of being a passive investor if all you do is research nonstop? You might as well be active in the space. So so that's kind of how I approach it. Focus on the macro, let the GPs do the micro. That's really all I have to add to that category. That's a great point. So on that point, we're going to go over some of the metrics that the GP, as Travis mentioned, will know in extreme detail. And then from the passive investor's perspective, you don't necessarily need to go every single day to the census website to look up these numbers. The point here is to have an understanding of the types of things that will impact the investment And a lot of stuff you'll see is kind of like common sense and it's kind of obvious. And then when you're reading through these investment summaries, you can see what is the main highlight of this market. And then you try to see if there's anything that's left out that you might want to look up to see if it's left out for a specific reason because it makes the market not look as good. And so the first thing we're going to talk about is going to be the demographics of the market. So the first thing that we mean here is what percentage of the market are renters as opposed to owner occupied. Because at the end of the day, again, it's common sense, but it's just a supply and demand formula. So all these metrics are going to indicate whether there is a high demand for multifamily rentals in that market. And specifically the type of multifamily rental that's being offered, whether it be luxurious A-class or C-class for working class folks. First is how many people are actually renting there. If everyone there owns homes, well, there's not going to be a large supply of renters for them to choose from, or the post you want to see renter population and that is fairly high compared to the average. I also mentioned you want to know the actual demographic from a perspective of age. So the different generations demand different things. Millennials and Gen Z want an entirely different type of unit and experience than the baby boomers want. So if it's in a heavy baby boomer area, you're going to have a different type of product to offer. And then I mentioned, you also want to understand the employment type. And I think we might talk about this a little bit later, actually, but what type of jobs are people working there? And then how much money are they making? That'll indicate the type of property offered and the rent. So I think, Travis, you might talk about this before, maybe it was someone else, but you don't want to see a apartment that's got rents that are two times the median income, which means half of their income is going to that rental. You want to see something around 35% max, ideally 25 to 30% is a little bit better. And there's obviously a lot of other demographic metrics you want to look at. And Travis is going to talk about the other one, which is probably most important is going to be the population growing or not. Exactly. And one thing I'll pick up on what you said, which just flashed back in my memory. I wrote a blog, I forget how long ago it was on Bigger Pockets about rent versus own. And I got in a little debate with someone, a happy, friendly debate, of course, And it was funny because they were advocating that you always, always, always should be a homeowner and never rent. It was a very black and white perspective. And by the way, they were from Indiana. Average home price is like 150K and the average (laughs) rent is like 1500. Yeah, okay. I'm pretty much with you on that. But I said, hey, what about in San Francisco where you've got a million dollar average home price and maybe an average rent of 2000 a month or something. I forget what the stats were. But in other words, 
could it perhaps make more sense to rent in that particular market? Maybe that's a lot bigger gap, like you said, with the average home price. So something to think about. Back to this topic here. Here's the bottom line. Is the population in that particular market growing, declining, or stagnant? Census.gov, lots of public info, look it up. Again, macro level is what I advocate. And just understand what the trend is. Look back for the last five, 10 years. Look at historics. Look at the recession. That's one thing that's helped me a lot is each recession and depression and whatnot, they're not the same, but they're similar. So I like to look at what this particular market did in 2008, 9, and 10, how much it declined. And things change. For example, Houston has come a very long way at being job diversified and industry diversified. It used to be, it was just pretty much oil and gas. So if oil and gas goes in the tank, that whole market's in the tank. It's not so much the case anymore. Again, markets move slowly. That's taken decades and decades and decades to change. So again, once you do some macro level fundamentals, you're probably good for at least six months, maybe even 12 months. So that's all I have to say on that. And I think that's a perfect transition to this next part, which is looking at the employers and then the industries in the market. So as Travis mentioned, Houston, for example, used to be predominantly oil and gas. So I'm not sure what the exact number was, but if half the employee population is working for oil and gas, then that's great for real estate when oil and gas is doing really well. But then when oil and gas is not doing very well, then that's not good for real estate because then people don't have jobs. People don't have jobs. They can't pay for real estate. Similarly, you can look back at the most recent recession, not including the one that we're technically in right now. Michigan would be an example, right? A lot of the population was employed in the auto industry. The auto industry tanked, therefore real estate tanked. Right now with the pandemic, the areas that are hardest hits are the ones that have a large percentage of population in service industries because those are what closed down. So you want to take a look at what the population breakdown is for each industry. And ideally, no industry is employing more than 25% of the population. That way, if that industry was completely wiped out 100%, then you still have a large portion of the population still working, still making money, and still paying rent. And then similarly, you also want to take a look at the actual companies themselves, the top employers, because you also don't want to see a situation where a large amount of the population is working for one specific company because if that company were to take a hit, again, maybe it seems like Walmart is never going to go away ever, but people didn't think GM or Chrysler was ever going to go away either, I'm sure. And so again, the whole point here is to minimize risk. So to minimize risk, you don't want to see one single company or one single industry dominating the employment population percentage. Exactly. And just to quickly recap all of that, two things comes down to companies relocating to a market or currently in a market. And it comes down to people currently in a market or moving into a market. That's really all it is. It's jobs and people. That is multifamily housing. You got to have people to rent and they got to have jobs that can afford your rent. It's really that simple. As we said before, it's not rocket science. It's common sense, at least to me, mostly common sense. So what you look for are Again, macro level, look for, oh, hey, did you know that Amazon's building a brand new headquarters or distribution center in Dallas, Fort Worth? They're going to bring on 2,000 new jobs in this particular 10-mile radius. It's important to recognize that stuff. And to your point, 
to have diversity. It's not just Amazon and then there's no other employment for 50 miles in either direction. You want a little healthcare, maybe oil and gas and tech and financial, all that good stuff. So check out U-Haul stats are great. You can just get them right off their website, uhaul.com, I guess is what it is. But they'll show you where people are renting a truck and where they're dropping it off, aka that's people moving. So just check out what's going on macro level and then let the GPs fill you in on specifically what's happening right now in that little sub-market. Actually, go to joefairless.com and then search U-Haul Migration Trends because we have a blog post on the most recent data. Perfect. I didn't know that. Thanks. All right. So the next metric you want to take a look at would be more on the supply side, but also an indicator of demand, which would be new construction and absorption rates. So new construction can indicate demand for multifamily. Not always, right? Because there could be hyper supply. But if these large massive commercial real estate companies are building a lot of property, similar to if a massive Fortune 500 company is moving to the area, they likely know what they are doing. Again, not a guarantee, but it's an indicator that there's demand. A better metric that's an actual number would be an absorption rate. So you can look up the number of new constructions on the census website. They kind of track that every single year. And then I think if you just type in new construction, I think it's something that's actually tabulated quarterly or monthly to somewhere else. But the absorption rate is also a really good indicator of demand. And so the absorption rate is a ratio of the number of units that have been rented to the number of available units over a certain period of time. So the higher the absorption, that means that there's less supply to keep up with demand. And a really low absorption means there's a lot of supply. So this can let you know that obviously if there's more demand, that pushes rents up and then that's good for investors. And so take a look at that absorption rate as well. And then what I mentioned before about hypersupply, IRR releases a yearly report that talks about the phase that all the major markets are in. They break them down to is either an expansion and hypersupply, recession, or recovery. And so obviously recession, hypersupply, maybe avoid those markets. Expansion is good, but it might be ending soon. And the recovery phase is a good place to get in to maximize growth. Something else too, also on the flip side, if they're not building a lot, that could also be a good thing because that means that there's a constraint on supply. So just because they aren't building anything might mean that it's hard to build in the area, which is also a good thing for investors. So a lot of new construction could be good, but it also could be bad. And then no construction could also be good, but can also can be bad. So I guess it kind of depends. <laughs> exactly. And there's so much data, you guys listening that we're going through. Please get a book. Again, I would talk about obviously your book, Theo and Joe's book, the best ever apartment syndication book, great resource, but there's a lot of books that can go through all of this in much more detail. Cause I know me back when, when I was trying to figure all this stuff out, it was overwhelming. It really was overwhelming. So the best thing to do, we're only giving you the high level stuff to think about. So make a little bullet point to study up and then go find a resource or a mentor or a program, something to help fill in the blanks for you. Last thing I'll say to that category is unemployment rate. So national average right now, give or take seven, eight percent national unemployment. So when I'm looking at markets, again, macro level as a limited partner, I'm just looking for a market that's outperforming the national average, quite frankly. So I'd love to be in a market where unemployment's three, four, five percent, something not seven or eight as the national average. To your point earlier, I know you mentioned Michigan being reliant on the auto industry back in the last recession and still kind of is. Their unemployment went up, if I remember right, over or about 17% hmm. in that market during the Great Recession. Well, that's a huge number. 
So again, that's why job diversity is so important. Industry diversity is 17% unemployment. Usually, by the way, I'm not a (laughs) conspiracy theory guy, but usually it's a little higher than what's actually reported. So just know that's a really bad thing for multifamily. So I'd like to do more study actually on what multifamily did in Detroit during those years. But that's all I got to say on that topic. Yeah, then one quick follow-up to kind of what you're saying at the end there. Something else you might want to consider looking at, you don't have to, but it's just something that's interesting is to actually look at the labor participation rate as well. Because that's what they're basing the unemployment rate on. And so it's who is actually looking for a job. So if you look at markets, last time I looked, I'm pretty sure that the labor participation rate was in the 60% range. And so it's 60% of the population that's looking for a job or, or is employed. What percentage of them are unemployed? So if you go to a market, it might have like a 1% unemployment. Like, oh, this is the best market ever. Then you look at it and only half the population that's there is considered part of the labor force. That's what Travis means that the unemployment rate might not be exactly what the unemployment rate says on the census. It might be higher because there's gonna be more people unemployed in that market than just 8% or whatever. Another metric, this is a really quick one, is just occupancy and rental rate trends. So again, pretty straightforward, but you're going to see a market that has a stabilized average occupancy rate. So at least 95%, but then you're also going to see it trending in the positive direction, right? You don't want to see a market that has a year-over-year decline in an occupancy rate. And then similarly, for the rents, you're going to see an, a rental rate that's increasing. So on the same note, you can also find different multifamily institutions that will project out what they expect the rents to be in the future. And usually, the syndicators will include any rent forecasts in their presentation to you. But overall, you want to know the historic trends of, say, the past five years or past 10 years for occupancy and, and rental rates. And they want to see what some of the people are saying for forecasts. And they also forecast population as well. Something else that you can find forecasts on. So you want to see what's going on in the past and then what do they think is going to happen in the future? Yep, 100%. The last thing I'm going to add here and then we'll wrap it up is check out the landlord tenant laws in the particular state you're looking to invest in. They are not created equal. What you're looking for, again, macro level as a limited partner, is that the tax laws, generally speaking, are in favor of the landlord, which Mm -hmm. is you. It's the owners of the real estate. Obviously, we need laws to protect both sides, 100% for that, right? However, there are some states, I always like to pick on California, it's like you can't evict a tenant if it's raining outside or if there's a cloud that covers the sun. Obviously, I'm making that up, but it gets so <laughs> ridiculous that you're like, really? You can't even do business in the state. So pay attention to that stuff. And additionally, I prefer investing in tax-free states or at least tax-friendly states in general. Again, here's a practical way to think about it from a limited partner perspective. Let's say I invest in a syndication deal. Five years later, it sells. I'm looking at paying tax, long-term capital gain and state tax on a $100,000 gain, just to use simple numbers. Well, if that deal happened to be in California, I'm looking at paying them at least $13,000 in a state tax upon the sale. Whereas if that same deal were in Texas and sold, I would owe nothing to the state. So there's a direct $13,000 savings just because I chose a state up front that was tax friendly. So something to think about. I mean, obviously, if your preference or your bias is California, New York, New Jersey, fine. But just know that that's going to be a factor (laughs) one day down the road. So with that, I think we covered some awesome stuff on markets. It goes much deeper. But again, everyone listening, these are just bullet points. Take some notes, hopefully open your mind a little bit and go dig a little bit deeper into it and get the facts for yourself. And that's all I got. 
I think the last thing I would say is that we have a blog post on the website. So if you go to joefairless.com, you can just type in target market. Or if you just Google ultimate guide to evaluating a target market, we have a very detailed blog post that goes into all the metrics we talked about today. I don't think we talked about the landlord and tenant laws in the tax-friendly states in that blog post, but I do think we have a separate blog post about landlord-tenant laws. But everything else we talked about, we go into a lot of detail on where to find this data and then what good metrics are and what bad metrics are in that blog post. So if you want to go into more detail, check that out, or I'm sure there's lots of books out there as well. So yeah, that concludes part two on how to vet a syndication deal. We talked about the team last time in part one, the market today, and then in part three, we're going to go in detail on how to evaluate an actual live deal that is presented to you. So until then, make sure you listen to part one on the team. And Travis, again, thank you for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Best of your listeners, thank you for joining us as well. Have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, Theo. Thanks, everybody. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Ever wonder how the top in real estate got there? The Invest This podcast hosted by real estate investor Scott Bauer interviews the top names in the industry, giving you the tips and tricks that help you catapult your real estate business to success. Find them at investthispodcast.com.